One of the most painful parts of getting started on a new development team is getting one's environment set up. Whether it's because of undocumented steps, an overly complex setup, or simply the challenges of understanding how all the pieces fit together. Getting a dev environment up often feels like a chore to be suffered through in order to do what I want, contribute to the code base. Gitpod seeks to solve these and other common challenges. With Gitpod, you can spin up fresh, automated dev environments in the cloud in seconds. In this episode, I interview Sven Eftinge, CEO of Gitpod. Sven, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Before we get into our main discussion, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your journey as a software engineer. Yeah, sure. So, I've, I mean, I started out with, uh, as a musician, and when I kind of got closer to my 30s, I realized I couldn't make a lot of money with that or actually a living. So I studied computer science and immediately, I, I think in the first year already, I got a job and then, you know, built tools. Like I, I started with Java and Java EE stuff and, and just thought, hey, this is all so bad. It needs to be improved. And so I jumped into code generation stuff, but also more like domain-specific languages, compiler constructions. I built open source tools around programming language. I built a Java alternative called Extend, which is a functional, statically typed programming language. And I think spent a couple of years as a manager in, in a consulting firm. And then I five years or so ago, I created a startup, founded a startup with two friends where we build development tools for international clients like General Electric or Ericsson. So they they asked us to build, you know, specific tools for their engineers. That company still exists. It's called Typefox. And in that company, we also built the Gitpod thing eventually. And so, which is now its own company. And yeah, I mean, I think I've been around in engineering for 15 years now or so. And what is Gitpod? Gitpod is a provides dev environments for engineers and engineering teams. A dev environment is basically what you need in order to start coding. That is an IDE, obviously, but also all like the repositories, the source code, but also all the tools you need in order to compile the source code, run the source code, you know, like application servers, database, things like that, your SDKs, your libraries, your build tools, and so on. And what Gitpod does is it allows you to write down in code what, how such a dev environment uh, should be structured. And then it provisions that for you in the cloud. And the cool thing is uh, you can version that, that configuration in, in code. So it's dev environments as code. And then you get fresh dev environments for all the tasks you, you do on a daily basis. Like you want to start fixing a bug, you just spin up a fresh dev environment based on the current default branch commit, use it, and then you close the dev environment. It's kind of disposable. You just, you know, uh, you don't have to go back and configure. I, I, for instance, never do git fetch or something like that anymore. And yeah, so that's that's basically Gitpod. It's a new way of bringing 
your development environments into the continuous developer pipeline. You know, you think about it, all the tools today are somehow in this pipeline in the cloud. You you have the GitLab, GitHubs, but also your CI/CD tools and so on. Uh, only when it comes to development, people still go local and configure your, their local machines and massage them to, so they work with all the projects. And GitHub basically moves this stuff into the cloud, streamlines it, allows you to share configuration in your team and basically be ready to code on all your projects at any time. So Gitpod's going to deliver me an environment in the cloud that has some similarities in my mind to Terraform. How do you compare and contrast to a tool like that? Well, Terraform is for, yeah, having infrastructure as code more or less, right? And you can um, create new clusters or, or, or things like that, as you will. The dev environment, it is similar, but it, you know, you would, you would not do that with with Terraform. Um, what a dev environment really is is kind of this interactive shell, and then the tools on top you need, like an IDE. You can with GitHub, for instance, you can use you get a web IDE which is VS Code, and you can just work with a browser, with an iPad, whatnot. But you can also install a local companion app, and then you have port forwarding to your local machine, so you can really use local host. URLs, although you are running in a kind of remote workspace. And then you can also use stuff like the VS Code remote support. So you use your local VS Code app, the standard one, and connect to the remote workspaces, but also use JetBrains and so on. So it, in, that, in some sense, it is similar to Terraform, but very, very specialized on development environments. So how do I specify my environment? At the core... You put in a .gitpod YAML into your repository. And in there, you uh, you describe first what kind of container image you want to use. So you can point to an existing container image or you point to a local Docker file, like local in that uh, repository. You can just put a .gitpod Docker file, which is what pe most people do, next to the gitpod YAML. And there you, you, know, you, you describe what tools you want to have in terms of the Docker file. The next thing is you describe what are the things that should run when, when the repository is cloned. So the Docker file stuff is kind of the basis. That's your operating system. You put in all the, you know, all the tools you need, but then we clone the repository and then you need to basically inflate the repository somehow. Inflating means running the build script, downloading dependencies, running code generators, compilers, whatnot, like so that it is in a state that you can start coding. The cool thing about these init tasks is that Gitpod has a notion of pre-builds. And so these tasks run asynchronously. They run before you want to have a dev environment. Um, Gitpod registers on your GitHub or GitLab repository. It registers a webhook. When someone pushes a branch, Gitpod will start building a, a workspace for this branch, for this commit. So we clo clone the repository and run these scripts. We, we run an npm install or maven install, what you, whatever you have. And so this shaves off already all this time for you. 
at the end of this time, a, a, a snapshot is taken. And then when a user comes by, a developer comes by and wants to start coding, this is all done. You end up in a completely inflated dev environment that has all the dependencies there, all the code is there. So you can really just start coding. And then there are some more stuff in the Gitpod YAML that you can put in, like what tasks should be executed when you when you really start an interactive workspace. So you probably want to have something like a watcher process or you want to start your dev mode, things like that. You can define what extensions all users should have installed in, in their VS Code instance. There can be user, you, we also have user configuration, but that's not what you put into the Git repository, obviously. So the Gitpod YAML owns only the stuff that is shared in the team. Port mappings, you know, what kind of ports should we make public, for instance, or do you want to get notifications when this port gets served, stuff like that. And how do I manage my environment variables in this scenario? You have different ways of doing that. There is a user-level environment variable uh, feature where, like in GetPod, there is a dashboard where you see all your all all the user belongings, uh, the settings, and so on. And you can also have and set up environment variables that get injected into your workspaces. You can also say, "I want to have this environment variable only for this kind of project." So you can pattern match the projects as well. And then also, of course, you can have team level environment variables through Docker as usual. Are you seeing any best practices or, or ways in which teams are collaborating with the project? Yeah, the, the typical integration is through a webhook or a GitHub app where you connect GitPod to your repository. And then Gitpod pre-builds all the branches. So on every branch, people can just start a workspace and, and, and work on that. But then also when you do, for instance, you create a pull request or a merge request in GitLab, then Gitpod will push a comment and with a link to the pre-built uh, blocks where you can see the progress there. And also, of course, a link to start a workspace based on that PR because a really Cool use case, of course, is a deeper pull request, a code review. And so people just start a dev environment for a code review while they have in another tab a running dev environment for their current ongoing feature development. And that's you know a very common thing, how you use this in, in the team, basically. Other things, of course, you can take snapshots of your workspaces at any point in time. So if, for instance, you, you're able to identify an issue and you, you have a certain scenario where you can trigger that and you don't want to, you know, you, you just want to share that with someone, but you need to share that asynchronously, you, you take a snapshot of your workspace, which generates a link, and then you can share that link with anyone and people who click on that will get a fresh copy of that workspace. So they are not landing in your workspace. And the other is, of course, live collaboration. So you can invite people to your workspace and then they can also see the running thing. So there's a phrase, I think, no development lead, or maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but a phrase I don't like to hear, and it's, well, it ran on my machine just fine. If a Gitpod makes it run in the cloud, have you solved that problem? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not because of, it runs in the cloud, but it it runs based on automation, right? So that's the thing. It either runs or it doesn't. And yeah, I mean, usually <laughs> there are, of course, uh, very often cases where it sometimes doesn't uh, run nicely. The thing is, with GetPod, this automation is applied continuously. As I said, like we run this really on every push, we run the automation. And so if that is kind of fragile or, you know, sometimes doesn't work or, or it's just not perfect for everyone, the whole team understands that and you know there is a bigger impact and people really want to get this you know sorted out and yeah so that is definitely a point we make uh, like you don't have this runs on my machine scenarios for sure like you know every they are all the same machines they are all set up the same way and if you if if it's a flakiness issue you will see it more often than not because it's running this automation continuously. Do Gitpod users have to worry about something like the cold start problem as they set up the environment? So the first time I build my environment, it's understood. Maybe a lot of packages have to install and this sort of thing. If I do that locally, I know, you know, if I'm working in Node, there's a Node modules directory still sitting there for me. If I'm spinning these uh, environments up and down in the cloud, might I have to wait for all those things every morning when I start up my routine? Oh, yeah. That's indeed uh, solved by the pre-builds, right? This, this is running asynchronously. And if we hadn't solved that issue with with something like pre-builds, of course, it would not be practical to start fresh dev environments for every task because you ha would have to wait for that. But if you have to reuse a workspace per project, then running going into the cloud is not really you know super helpful because or automation in general is not super helpful because you would run this automation only once when you onboard on a project and then never again so you you know you run this once and then you have this this state full mass that you have to massage over time and sync manually and then of course configuration drift happens and so it was super important for us to get this continuously applied automation and then of course with no compromises so that people should not wait like time is is really important so we introduced this notion uh, of pre-builds and and so that solves it that warms up your machines basically and can you give an example of what a pre-build is what's a, maybe a popular one uh, yeah i can i mean just for example you have an, an, a React project. When you check out a project and you clone it freshly, what you need to do is, and, and given you have all the tools you need, like NPM and so on, it's all installed, then the, the minimal thing you do is NPM install. And that, depending on the size of the project, runs in a few seconds or in a minute or something like that. Then maybe you have also gRPC, things in there, right? You want to run the code generator as well. And then maybe it is not only a React Pro, but there is maybe, I don't know, Rust backend thing. And you need to run the Rust compiler and it also pulls down dependencies and so on. And so you, you, you make sure this is all done already when you enter a new workspace. You, you do, tell Gitpod, hey, this you can do already when someone pushes a change, you run through this. And so that's what a pre-build is. 
You know, you don't have to wait for this stuff. It's already there. So the use case for Gitpod for managing my application code makes perfect sense to me. Is there part of the story for the databases and persistent storage that my application might want to connect to? Yeah, you mean a long living state in, in, in test databases, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I guess on one side, you could say that's out of scope for Gitpod, that uh, the team should set up a, a staging database and a dev database and just put in the credentials. I'm curious if there's anything beyond that or any best practices to apply. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the best practice here is to not have long living state, but seed a database freshly, which, but of course, it's not always practical. So if you want to have a database that is long living, a test database that you use, you have like, of course, the state somehow, somewhere, not in GetPod. The point is, can I, how can I connect to it? And so that's what, where the, what I uh, previously mentioned is the local companion app. The local companion app allows you to connect to ports in the workspace, but it also allows to do the connection in the other, in the other direction. So you can provide services in the workspace that are reachable from your local machine, for instance. So this is basically what you, what you need to do is port forwarding mapping, and you can automate this as well. So when you start a workspace and you are on your machine and you have access to a test database, you can um, configure it so that it connects to that. This is still kind of relatively like the, the local companion app is in preview mode. So we are still working on that. We definitely know, and you know, that's, this is something we, we want to solve because that's just life. Uh, that, that's how developers work today. You know, there might be a best practice, but, uh, we have to also deal with reality and existing environments. And so that's what, that's the thing we are solving and product wise. In GetPod, we have some sort of basic values and approaches. And one is that we try to be very orthogonal, which means we want to allow everyone to bring their environment and their tools and make them work within GetPod as is. So we really try hard to not impose any kind of strange, you know, in GetPod, you need to do solve this completely different uh, things. So we are trying to get everything, you know, all the tools you like locally, they should run in GetPod. And and they do for the, for the most part, I think. And, and so the biggest issue here is really the port mapping, the networking. Lots of tools are built with local hosts in mind and lots of existing environments. Assume you are in the, you know, in the network of your local machine. And so we are solving that with uh, bridging the network by doing port forwarding. So if an individual or a team wants to adopt Gitpod, what's the onboarding process? Basically, you go to Gitpod and create a new project. You import your repository into Gitpod. Like the, what you basically do is you install the Gitpod app in GitHub or um, install a webhook on GitLab. You get There is a flow that, that walks you through this. And then you can configure your repository and then you can invite members and you are all set up. That's it. Like it's really mostly that 
In GitLab, we have native integration so that you already have a GitPod button on, on the various contexts. Like you can, you see that already. For GitHub, you need or you should install the browser extension that we have that would add a button to the various pages. But yeah, it's not, it's not hard. Like you set up your project, you work a bit on the configuration and, and then you invite your colleagues. So Gitpod is an as a service then? Is that how you look at it? It's yeah, it's a SaaS, primarily a SaaS service, but it's also open source and we also allow or offer self-hosting. So you can also install your Gitpod installation on your own Kubernetes clusters if you want. But if I think the easiest to get started is just using Gitpod.io, the SaaS service. Yeah, and when I sign up for that, so I'm it's going to create my dev environment for me. Do I bring my own cloud or is that something you're provisioning as well for me? Yeah, no, that that is uh, of course provisioned for you as well. You don't bring your own cloud. You it's really like if you want to try it out now, you just go to your GitHub repository and prefix the URL with gitpod.io hash. That's the easiest thing to get a workspace of your source code. You know, it's it's really really easy but then kind of if you really want to adopt the value then you should import the project and make sure you have the configuration because then you get the automation in it like you have a tailored docker file you can describe what a pre-built should do and so on so gitpod is a fairly broad uh, generic in the good way tool any developer could perhaps pick this up and use it for their project I'm curious, though, have you seen any early patterns in early adoption? Are there particular industries or styles of coders that have really gravitated towards Gitpod? From, I can talk about that from two ends. Like individuals, I think it's mostly, actually, interestingly, um, engineers who are a bit more experienced and you know, know a lot about automation. They probably also have pretty uh, well-shaped CI pipelines and uh, want to just streamline the efficiency and also of their teams and so on. And so we have these individuals. And then we also have companies reaching out. And those are mostly larger who have a dedicated kind of platform team where you know the whole team is just about developer experience developer productivity and they they also reach out uh, and that's often financial institutions surprisingly like you know you would think they are usually slow and at least like in adopting these things they are they they pretty much well understand the the pain points here but it's also a case that these companies often have already something in place which is doesn't work so nice like a Citrix solution or something like that. And of course, going with something that runs in your browser more easily and is also less expensive and so on is, is of course, very nice. Yeah, but I like mostly I think people who are concerned about developer experience and developer velocity, I think that's that's the people we see who adopt that at the moment. From a security perspective, it seems there's some possible advantages here as well. If I were a large enterprise company, the type that really wants to carefully control 
uh, what developers have access to. Uh, managing everything in the cloud in a you know controlled way through Gitpod seems to bring some advantages. Do you see that as part of a more enterprise story? I mean, it is a bit more you know security shifting security left is important for for also small teams and so on so we lots of people talk about that but yeah large the larger the company the more you know they have compliance things and so on um, ongoing and and then it is of course super helpful to move software engineering into the cloud because what happens currently is you know you have this nice pipeline but then there is this black box where people just grab the code copy it on some machine that is somewhere in the world and then there is this copy laying around and you don't know what this machine you know you have to protect the whole machine which is much more expansive and and complicated than just access through https through a browser yeah so yeah there's yeah there is a good really good helpful lever there and that's Definitely also very, very interesting. And we are looking at that and it is important for us. But that said, we are like primarily, our primary primary focus is really getting developers to have just a better time coding. Like that's that's a primary thing. We are really trying to get, build a product that, that developers love here. And then, of course, it needs to be secure for sure. Well, Gitpod is going to be useful to me whether whether I'm working remotely or on site. But of course, a lot of us are working much more remotely these days. Uh, does that impact the way Gitpod is deployed and used? Do you think? Uh, I mean, it's very comfortable that you don't have to think too much about on what machine you are when you want to start coding on your project. So you like with Gitpod, you always get the same beefy machine in the cloud, no matter your working from your you know chromebook or small laptop or you are in in the office and have have a beefy machine so i think that's for sure very useful and and flexible in that sense well one of the reasons i carry around a laptop with a lot of memory and stuff in it is because i develop on that laptop if i become a GitPod power user, I could definitely see myself migrating towards more of a thin client kind of solution. Uh, I'm curious where you stand on that. What's your development environment like? Personally, I still use pretty powerful machines just because I already I have them or I don't know. I like them. I work on a on a MacBook Pro and I, but I also have a um, uh, Mac Mini on which I work. I mean, the, with the Apple Silicon, it's also quite powerful actually but i would not need to it's more like i think the interface is more important having a proper keyboard and a uh, proper touchpad and so on definitely like i see lots of people who use like like gitpod because they can now use smaller lighter machines especially when you're traveling a lot you know it's just nice to not needing to carry around a, a big uh, heavy machine with you so yeah we, i mean we see all this but for me personally, like I don't do any local development for, I think, the last two years anymore. I, I don't think I even have Git installed on my computers. Oh, wow. I do everything in Gitpod. Like we developed Gitpod in Gitpod for, I think, two and a half years now. And all other things are also always in Gitpod. 
Well, can you comment on the way your development process, maybe your efficiency has improved in that time? Yeah, I mean, it is it, two years ago, we didn't really have like KPIs around developer velocity or cycle time and so on. So it's a little hard to tell, but, you know, it's just like, I don't have this uncomfortable worries that I need to, you know, when I come back from vacation, I need to update my dev environment. I need to catch up. Did any tools change and so on? Or I just want to work on something and then I get blocked because suddenly something doesn't work anymore. I mean, this happens with Gitpod as well, of course, at, at some point, but then it's very, very visible because the whole team sees it and immediately takes action. And so it's not like it, you know, it, every developer needs to figure that out on, on their own and so on over time. So it's, it's much more aligned. And then just, you know, going out on GitHub or, and GitLab and, you know, you see some code, I could just spin it up in, in GitPod and code around on it. That definitely has an impact on doing small changes. Like, you know, you, you, you are working on something and then there are an upstream library, there's a small issue. Usually, like, there is so much to do in order to get a PR on that. You know, you want to write a test and so on, and you need to clone it and read the readme and set up everything. You don't do that. But if you have a Gitpod set up for that, you just go there, click it, you know, work on it and create a PR briefly on the side. It's really no, no issue. And I think that's a important also for Gitpod. It's, it's cool for, you know, if you are a power developer and you, you work on many projects, but it's also really cool if you are kind of part of this group that supports developers in some way, like QA people, product people, and so on, that need a dev environment from time to time. Because they are really currently with the, you know, what, what the mainstream uses, they, they are kind of left behind. They have this intimidating hurdle and that is setting up a dev environment and they just don't do it. And then, you know, they, they don't go as deep as they could. And makes that, sense. that helps a lot. Well, I see a strong use case for a development manager, or as you were describing at a bigger company where people just work on the platform, to hand a new team member an idealized environment. It's got everything pre-configured. Maybe there's some special tools the team tends to use or plugins they like. Those can all be pre-installed. Although at the same time, I know some developers love to hyper-customize their environments and maybe they want to do the spacing or the colors and fonts in a certain way that's not agreeable for the whole team. Is there a story for me to individualize my environment? Yeah, that's that's a question I uh, often hear, actually. I think that is, you know, for some reason or... Of, of course, it is important for a developer. You are spending, you know, hours uh, every day in this environment and you want to uh, adjust it to your personal taste and how you would be most efficient and so on. Um, and so you can do that in, in Gitpod. So there is a, like, you have this centralized configuration, which is um, Gitbase, Gitpod YAML. I mentioned that. And then you can have user space setting like environment variables. You can have user level extensions, but also settings in your IDE and so on. 
And then we are also working on getting you cloned a .files repo, so where you can also run and configure personalized kind of command line things. So that's that's basically uh, what it is. It, it You can think of it as you get the team experience and then you can put your user layer on top, more or less. Makes sense. So yeah, definitely important. Can we go back to the web IDE? Uh, remind listeners uh, what we started out talking about when I spin up my environment, what uh, tool set am I entered in and uh, what configuration options do I have? Mm-hmm. So the the default uh, mode is that you open up in a VS Code running in the browser. So that is the thing you, it's also open source. It's this open VS Code server that we released two weeks ago. And it is really stuck VS Code. It's kind of the most upstream standard VS Code from what the Microsoft VS Code team is working on. And all we did there is just adding the possibility to run it in this browser remote server approach, um, which is the same thing that GitHub Codespaces does and, and Gitpod. And uh, it's basically this protocol that we, we um, support there. And so you can run that as you want. Um, so that's the default option. And the other is you can go with local with your local VS Code or with, uh, we are working on a JetBrains um, IDE integration, which is probably coming out later this year, early next year. So if you are, you know, if you are a Java developer, probably you like IntelliJ a lot and uh, then you can just use that. And would I then be using IntelliJ in the browser as well? Or what's the vision there? Uh, no, you would use the desktop version of it. So the desktop, like JetBrains is building a remote development mode where the a headless version of their IDE is running remotely. And then there is a protocol that communicates to a thin client running locally. So it feels like it is just a normal IDE, but the the heavy stuff runs on the remote machine, like the heavy stuff means indexing the language, the, the all the files, and doing code completion, calculation, and, and all that language-specific stuff. That is running remotely. And then the stuff that needs to be visualized to the user, that's kind of done locally, and the communication happens through a protocol. And Gitpod um, just integrates with this mode. And VS Code also has this mode already. And Gitpod also um, integrates with that. Like when you start your dev environment in Gitpod in a browser, you can just with a single command open your local VS Code in that same on that same workspace. And the difference is not big actually. It's the same VS Code more or less running there, but in the browser there is certain key bindings actually. That's I think that's the main pain point here. There are certain key bindings that you cannot override in a browser. Uh, very prominent is command W that is used to close tabs. So in VS Code, you would like to close the active editor in the browser that closes your browser tab, which is not nice, right? So there is this these smaller uh, caveats. Uh, and that's the reason why people sometimes want to go local. I mean, I I don't go local because I'm I got used to that over the years to these shortcomings, but 
Yeah, it is. There's really like the browser IDEs, especially with VS Code. There is not much. Yeah, there's really no compromises anymore. Like it's it's just working really well. Yeah, that uh, command W is a very unfortunate collision, I think, uh, across the two modes. Yeah, that's that's true. So I've never looked too under the hood at my development tools. So in my mind, at least, I think of something like JetBrains or IntelliJ as being, you know, a very different beast from VS Code. Maybe they're more similar than I think, but do you face any challenges in supporting these two, you know, seemingly orthogonal projects? So no, mostly because we build GetPod very IDE agnostic in like we like what both tools do basically they run in in this container or connect to this container that is running in the cloud and in that container we also have a main process running and a cli and these two like we build extensions for both tools and they communicate with these process like through also messaging and yeah there is of course vs code is using typescript as a programming language and so we we need to build it in typescript and JetBrains use Java, so you need, we need to write that in Java. The tools themselves in GitPod are mostly written in Golang. So we have in that team that is taking care of this, we have already three programming languages that, that we need to use there. But I mean, that's not a super big issue, I think. Um, and we try to keep the extensions, like the stuff, the sugar we add to the IDEs relatively thin and lean. We want people to, in the end, just get the experience they are used to. It's not like we need to, we think it's a good idea to put GetPod in there all the time and, and surface that and rebrand or something like that. We don't do that. It's not important. It's not helping developers actually. Should I be at all worried about latency? Let's assume I have a decent network connection, but you know it's still local versus cloud. Uh, should a developer have a concern about that? I mean, you should try it out and see for yourself, but there are certain things where you do a keystroke and you want to get a reaction immediately. And that is, of course, typing in the editor, but that is done entirely client-side, no matter you use... Um, VS Code or JetBrains. So there, there's a document buffer that runs in, in, on the client side, so there's no no difference. The terminal is is different. There you have this turnaround cycle with remote. So you send the key and it renders it and then it sends it back. Um, VS Code has a mode where it renders locally and then when it gets the message back from the server side, it, it tries to match it. And in you know in ninety five percent of the cases it, it's just good. So with terminal sometimes you might see an effect if your internet connection is really bad then you it, it feels a little sluggish. You can turn on this mode and then you don't feel it at all. Content assist I think is is with the thing that then comes to mind as well. And that is something that usually happens on the on the server side. And then, so if you have a long Ping time is, is the most important thing here, or like cycle round trip time. Then, yeah, you might see it, but it's really compared to the usual calculation time that, that content assist has in, in many scenarios, 
it's neglectable. Like you don't really see it. Like it's, you know, 50 milliseconds or something like that uh, when it's bad, what's the round trip ads. So I don't see it. I don't feel it, but I'm also living in Europe and we have a Europe cluster. So we run clusters around the world and we are working on having them very close to you. Currently, we only have America and uh, Europe. So we have one in, in North America and one in Europe. And depending on where you are, you get connected to one or the other. But we are working on having smaller, more regional clusters. And then you really don't have any any important latency anymore. And broadly speaking, how does pricing work? At the moment, the pricing is you get a very generous freemium tier where you can use 50 hours per month. That means running a, a workspace who, that is active for one hour is one workspace hour. And you get 50 of that. So you can spend quite some time and get part before you reach that end. Uh, you can use that on public and private repositories. Uh, so there are no limitations there. And then you can subscribe to uh, user-based like plans where you have uh, more hours or even unlimited hours uh, on a monthly basis. That's the current approach. Uh, we are currently thinking a bit about changing that to usage-based pricing, but that's uh, something for the future. And are there any aspects of the roadmap you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, I mean, we are working on... Like the container isolation is, is really important. So uh, one big difference between Gitpod and GitHub Codespaces, like GitHub Codespaces is solving a very similar problem. So they have built out a really nice product in, in GitHub, which is very similar to Gitpod. What they do is they run this in VMs. And VMs means you have more isolation, right? Like it's it's just very well isolated and, and 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 you know that but it also means the cloud density is not like most containers or vms idling all the time so it's super expansive and not efficient like you know if if all developers on on the planet would run their stuff on those vms we you know we have we need a lot of machines and use a lot of energy for that and so we are using containers which is you know, more like a bit, you know, it's a bit harder to get isolation right there, uh, put it like that. And so we we already reached a, a few very important milestones. So we have an isolation and, and that's something you should talk about uh, with Chris also. Um, there is really cool isolation layers for that so that we can allow root in the containers. You can do Docker in, in our containers um, and so on. And you cannot break out of the containers anymore. So that's a very unique fe uh, feature of GitPod, actually. And uh, we are doubling down on this stuff, you know, making it, making, making all this better so you can really run anything, even also VMs in GitPod containers. Other things are, of course, the better integration with the JetBrain that I already mentioned, the local companion app, easier integration with existing in environments in your network. We are building out the pre-build feature so that you also have, you know, incremental pre-builds working nicely, things like that. So there are, there's lots of stuff in GitPod. And of course, also integration with, with other platforms. Like you could also spin up dev environments from Jira. And currently we have only 
GitLab, Bitbucket, and and GitHub. Um, yeah, making it easier to install the the self-hosted version. Well, Sven, is there anything you think we should have touched on that we didn't get to? Well, probably, but <laughs> nothing comes to mind. <laughs> Maybe to wrap up, can you remind listeners how they look into getting started with Gitpod? Yeah, happy to do that. The easiest thing is to go to gitpod.io and just, you know, yeah, just get started from there. The alternative is go to your GitHub repository and prefix the URL with gitpod.io hash and you get in a few seconds a full workspace with clone that repository and you can just start working on that. And then, of course, uh, I mentioned that already, Gitpod is open source. So, you know, join the community. There is gitpod.io slash chat, which where you, you we can chat, but also uh, on GitHub, it's gitpod-io slash gitpod. Everything is open source. Just have a look there. Well, Sven, thanks so much for taking the time to come on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Kyle.